from the dimly lit studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another homegrown hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Are you planning on starting your own plants from seed this season? Be warned that while success is rewarding, failure awaits those who use garden soil, old egg cartons, and or a sunny windowsill to kill their baby plants. On today's show, we'll explain how to produce starts that are as good or better than the ones at the garden center. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens, that's right. Potential guests are busy losing their lumens. So we will take that heap and help them. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and belatedly benign roomation. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, because it's all coming up faster than you giving birth to the pride of the tomato patch right after this. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Later in the show, we will discuss an important topic, how to successfully start seeds so you can grow your own plants indoors instead of buying them. It's not easy. It's not as easy as you may think, but it can be done if you do it right. We'll tell you how. Before that, though, lots of your fabulous phone calls. 833-727-9588 is the number to call. Karen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, thank you, Mike. Oh, thank you, Karen. How are you? I am swell. Okay. where Life, is... life could not be much better than it is today. I'm moving in with you. Uh... <laughs> you actually probably... I, I would not object to that one bit. I could use your wisdom around this place. Well, you're clearly misinformed. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I've been following you for far too long, buddy. I'm okay. pretty sure I'm on the right track. And where is that right track? The right track is in Williams Township, Pennsylvania, okay. over near the Delaware River and Regalsville. Oh, okay, very good. What can we do you for? Well, I bought this place. It's a 22-acre farm. I Ooh. bought it back in the middle of the summer. The previous owner um, was in the pharmaceutical industry, and she maintained it with heavy, heavy, heavy applications of glyphosate and black-dyed mulch. Ooh. Yeah. Um, That's the real nasty stuff. That's the stuff that drips tar when it gets really hot out. Yeah, and dyes your dog's feet black, and it's it's pretty horrific. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this the mulch was in huge beds. It's been applied twice a year for oh, I don't even know how many years, but I know that the beds of it are very, very thick. Mm -hmm. And um, the specimen trees that it surrounds are, I mean, none of them look good. Everything looks very sickly. Right. And because it's, it's the impossible mulch... to spray the roots of a tree with an herbicide and not expect some sort of fallout, I guess. Yeah. It um, is, uh, is the mulch piled up against the trunk? Um, it is in some places. I mean, it certainly connects with the trunk everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I know I would have to pull it away from the trunk. My right. question is. I am going to be migrating this place as quickly as possible to fully organic. Mm -hmm. And so do I need to remove all of the black? Ah, man, I would if just because um, those wood chips are fairly inert. They're going to be around for a long time. And mm -hmm. it's, it's my understanding that the black dyes are the absolute worst. Um, okay. Not only does it cover up the fact that probably would a lot a lot of what you have is chipped up insecticide-soaked pallets uh, mm -hmm. from China, construction debris, pressure-treated wood from after the hurricanes, yeah. uh, things like that. So, yeah, it would be worth your while. I might, um, and uh, you, uh, you said you had a multi-acre farm, but we're just talking about around the house, right? Well, it's still a pretty, there's a lot of this stuff. She, I mean, if it might be one small specimen tree like a small rosa sharon or something and mm -hmm. the mulch could go 
20 feet in every direction. Oh, gosh. Or, or more. Well, it's, I'm. you, you can, know. you know, what I might want to do is I might want to go to a tool rental place. Okay. Um, and see if there's a big kind of a yard vac that you could rent for a couple of days or a week where you could vacuum this stuff up and then drive it over to another area and shoot it out. I know on big projects, I've seen landscapers shooting this mulch out of, of okay. nozzles. Um, and so I'm sure there's machines that, that do the reverse and suck it up. And I would just get it all out of there, every little bit, and put it in the most far away part of your, uh, of your farm. If you've got like invasive plants or terrible things coming up, Shoot them, shoot them, cover them with mulch, get them all the way to the top, black matter, all the way to the top. Actually, what we have is uh, an invasive, my next door neighbors informed me of this during the summer, we have a rare invasive earthworm called invasive jumping worms that somebody dumped out up on the mountain behind the house and... um, they're, they are horrific, and they will kill the forest that is up there. So maybe what I'll so, do is go mulch the heck out of them and see if I can. They won't them out. like it, you that's know. for sure. I'm not yeah. familiar with what you're talking about. There are people who theorize that there were no worms in the New World uh, after the Ice Age of 10,000 years ago ended. And all the worms that we have now have been imported, you know, in potted plants by the colonists or whatever. Right, yeah. And they say that these worms are aggressive at working the leaf litter in the forest, and they're too good at turning fallen leaves back into soil. Yeah, um, that's, that's what they have said about these guys. That, yeah, I can't buy that. that. My neighbors get like a two-inch layer of them around the patio every every literally every morning uh the the worms themselves that's a different story but um i don't think they're a danger you know the state of nature is constant change we're we're one big world now and everything from everywhere lives everywhere these things are going to settle themselves out but yeah if that's where you want to dump your bad mulch uh that's a good idea Uh, the roundup at least with all the rain you got last year that has been pretty much washed out of your soil, all the herbicide. So if you wanted to be a commercial, mm-hmm. recognized, certified organic farmer, you could start selling food that would be called transitional either next year or the year after. But after three years of you not applying any chemicals or any nasty mulch, uh, you would be qualified for organic. That's good to know because that is in part where I'm where I'm headed. And in fact, if I were to ask you another question, it would involve raised beds and high tunnels. But I don't yeah. want to. Can well, I ask? They're both great. They're both great. Uh, every small scale farmer I know right now has given up on given in the uh, on working in the dirt. Um, right. They have high tunnels. Uh, you're in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has uh, a grant system where they will split the cost of the high tunnel with you, something you should definitely investigate. Oh, I will. You'll definitely want to join uh, NOFA PA, Northeast Organic Farmers Association of Pennsylvania. NOFA is a national group, but pretty much every state has uh, its own chartered membership. Um, And they'll help you. They'll help you find all these grants and design the beds and design the hoop houses and the high tunnels but if you're going to be farming that is the way to go for okay. instance yeah, I, I, all of the with farmers all the rain we've been getting and exactly the sun it was like Argh. exactly all the farmers who grew their tomatoes in high tunnels had a record harvest home gardeners struggled because of all the rain okay um well if i can't afford the high tunnel this summer raised beds should I look to plastic mulch to slow down the amount of water that we're likely to get? No, because water accumulates underneath the plastic mulch and the soil gets all moldy and dies. 
Oh, okay. No. Go, the go only on, thing right you can do to uh, remediate uh, excessive amounts of rain, which we don't know we're going to get again. I Remember, know. we could have a drought. But as you build raised beds, make sure there's a lot of perlite in them. Per okay. Perlite is that white material that people think is styrofoam in mm -hmm. the plants they buy at the garden center, but it's actually uh, a popped form of volcanic glass. It's very natural. It is absolutely amazing. It retains moisture, but it helps drain soil. So the more perlite, the more prepared you are for drought or heavy rains. Excellent. All right. One last, one last question. If I, when I get my raised tunnel, can I grow the seeds that I would normally grow in the garden, or am I limited to hothouse varieties? Oh, no, no. When you have a high tunnel, the, uh, the sides roll up and down. You can control the environment inside. That's exactly what I wanted or to Or else hear. it would just cook to death in the summertime. Thank you. Okay. But take a look at the old publications of the new farm online. Contact NOFA, contact the Rodell Institute out in Monksahawney. You don't have to invent the wheel. They've got, they'll hold your hand. Oh, best news ever. Thank <laughs> you so much. All right. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. All right. The number to call is 833-727-9588. Landis, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being had, Landis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Where is Landis doing well? Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. Uh, that that is our might be our second biggest market. We do so well in Oklahoma City and Norman, and I have such a great time when I visit you guys. You're a lot of fun. Well, that's we we try. All right. What can I do for Landis? I uh, live in a downtown apartment, so not a lot of green space. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> like to cook a lot, so wondering what what's the best way to get started, maybe with some herbs or vegetables. Uh, I have a, a small patio and a couple of windows okay. in my apartment. Well, forget about the windows. Um, they're just for house plants or low-light plants. Sure. Now, you say you have a patio, an outdoor patio. Um, yes. How much sun does it get? Uh, it faces to the north. Oh, man, so you're, you're really just screwed, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> so does it get any decent sun? Uh, yeah, in, in the morning uh, it gets quite a bit. And then, of course, oh, you know, around four thirty five o'clock in the evening, there's okay. quite a bit. But okay. uh, otherwise, you know, it's covered. Um, how long does the morning sun last? Maybe a couple hours in the morning before it moves on. Okay. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Out on that patio, uh, you can grow herbs, and you can grow salad greens. Um, if you were to, like, rig up uh, a cool container, uh, you could grow potatoes out there. You'd need a little bit of cleverness and a little bit of building, but it could be done. And you could grow things like beets, like red beets. Okay. Uh, but you cannot grow any flowering plants out there. You can, no matter how much you want it, you can't grow uh, peppers or tomatoes or anything like that. Um, just not enough sun. Um, but you can grow what's called roots and shoots. That's leafy plants like lettuce and underground plants like uh, beets and potatoes. So, you know, in one sense, there is a lot you can grow out there. Now, how big is the actual apartment? Uh, not, not terribly huge. I mean, about 900 square feet, maybe. Okay. Uh, you could try to grow some hot pepper plants, some uh, small, well-behaved hot pepper plants, under artificial light. If you had room for, say, uh, a four-foot-long shop light, you could grow maybe, you know, three or four well-behaved smallish pepper plants underneath them if you wanted to um, take the chance and you had the room. Otherwise, let's see, we're in Oklahoma. Uh, what's the chance there's a community garden near you where you can grow 
what I presume is the stuff you really want, like tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there is. I don't know of any around me, but I'm sure they exist. Why don't you do a little searching, you know, look for community gardens in Oklahoma City. I've been there enough to know that there is a big, big horticultural community there. And I would be shocked if you couldn't find uh, a community garden that was somewhere, you know, not too far from your home or where you work or something on your on your basic route. And it's a little late to actually start looking, but you might luck out and find something that you can get to easily and that still has a plot open. But rather than try to do the impossible, I would grow, like I said, the herbs and the lettuce and maybe a couple of root crops out on the patio. Have fun with that. You should have good success. And then see if you can get into a community garden. Or perhaps do you have a friend who has a house where you could put up a couple of raised beds or something? Uh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Don't, don't be limited by where you are. Think about different places that you could garden that would have the ideal growing situations for the plants you want. Sure. Okay, man? All right, I appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Can't wait to come back, and I hope you come see me when I do. I'll do it. All right, Landis, take care, man. Thanks, you too. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that my springtime tour continues. I'll appear at Homestead Gardens in Annapolis on Saturday, April 6th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with the right way to start plants from seeds and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, do you want to start your own plants from seed this year? It allows you to grow varieties that you're probably not going to find at even the best garden centers. But seed starting is a skill that is more difficult to achieve than outdoor gardening. So we're going to tell you what you got to do, and if you do it, you'll have success. In the meantime, more of your successful phone calls. 833-727-9588 is the number to call. Mike, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you very much. I enjoy your show. I'm a loyal fan now. Well, excellent. Thank you so much, sir. Where are you? I am in Florence, New Jersey. Okay, very good. The Garden State. What can we do for Mike in Florence? Okay, I've been, I like to garden. I've been gardening all my life. I have a 40-foot planter. I put my own vegetables in in the summertime. I got three plum trees. I had a fig tree. It was a desert king. Desert king? That's yes. an unusual, that's not a name that jumps to mind for a No, a well, that's because I, I used to live out west, and that was... It's a very hardy tree, but but let me get to the point what sure. happened with it. Okay. I never wrapped it. It was fine in my yard. Right. And one year, a couple of years ago, we had that very bad winter with all that snow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to guess it was rabbits. They ate the bark off the tree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, they do do that? Yes. Yeah. Um Whenever we have a really harsh winter, every good plant in your landscape, especially newly planted trees, yes. small trees, you should get um, what a hardware cloth um, and wrap the bottom of like burlap. The, no, no hardware. You know, it's a weird expression. I'm glad you you asked that. 
Hardware cloth is like window screening, oh. but 10 times heavier with larger holes. I see. If you go to any home center or hardware store, they'll know what hardware cloth is. I don't know where the cloth term came from. It's kind of a mixture of screening and fencing, but it ha it's great protection. And yes, rabbits do this, mice do this, voles do this. So what you do in the beginning of winter, you loosely wrap the bottom of the trunk with this hardware cloth and, you know, just use twist ties to make it, uh, make it the way you want. And if winter gets really horrible and the snow covers the hardware cloth, yes. go out there and put another one on up top of that. Because okay. you got to remember, the rabbits will go on top of the snow to eat away at the bark. How about that? So okay. e even with that, though, the fig trees normally recover from their roots no matter what happens up top. Well, that's right. But for fortunately, I have a sister that lives about a half a dozen blocks away from me over mm -hmm. here in Florence. And I gave her a cutting. Her, her tree was thriving, and they didn't do it with hers. So I'm going to take a cutting this year and start over again. Okay, good. Okay, but I have one more question about that fig tree. Oh, sure. When I leave the figs on to get ripe, yeah, th there's ants all over them. Hmm. The, over the figs. You have unusual problems. <laughs> okay, so when you when you take your cuttings, you want her tree to have um, come out of dormancy to be putting on new greenery, and okay. then you want to wait till two or three weeks. And then you want to cut a couple of, like, good-sized whips. With, with figs, normally I would tell people to, you know, put them in potting soil till they grow roots. With figs, I think you can just stick those things in the ground gently and water them, and they will take. All right, thank you. Now, when the ants show up... When you, they're ripe, yeah, when the figs get ripe. You need to be ready with boric acid traps. You know when you go to a hardware store, especially back in the old days, you would get these metal cans. Oh, yeah, with the round ones with the... With the key punch hole in the side. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you had ants in your house and the ants would go in and they would get a low dose of something poisonous to ants and take it back to the nest. See, it's very important whenever you're trying to control ants in any situation that you get to the queen. Right. So... You can buy boric acid bait traps. Uh, you know, just uh, it may say sodium tetraborate, may say boron, but no matter what, it's, it's some version of the element boron, which is pretty harmless to people. Our grandparents used it as an eyewash. Oh, um, yeah, my, my grandfather used to brush his teeth with boric acid. There you go. But ants can't um, metabolize the boron. And it, but it slowly builds up in their body. So they can be eating it for five or six days before they start to get sick. I see. And, but they're worker ants. And one of their big jobs is to keep bringing food back to the queen. So these traps are perfect in that you'd never be able to find the queen. But no. the worker ants will do the job for you. So as soon as you see the first ants showing up, ring the tree with boric acid traps the workers will take it back and feed it to the queen. And within a week or 10 days, that colony will be wiped out. Well, thank you very much, because the part that amazed me, I'm ne I never see the ants in my yard. But as soon as those figs would ripen up, starting to ripen up, here come the ants. The ants are living in a colony underground that could have thousands of workers. So oh. killing the individual ants you see is worthless. But once you kill the queen, no new workers can be produced. So when those workers that are already existing die off, probably from the boric acid, there's no queen mother to start popping out new baby ants. And that's it for that, uh, for that colony. Well, thank you. That is a great bit of advice. And uh, as being an avid gardener, I will use that. And I guess I could use that in other locations in my garden if need be. If need be, ants are generally not a real garden problem, but I can no. see them. I can see them being attracted to the sweetness 
of the figs. And once this colony dies out, the ones that come in to replace it may not even be interested. They may have other things to do. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. My pleasure, Mike. It was a great couple of questions. And again, keep up the good work. You're really helping us gardeners. Thank you, sir. That number to call, 833-727-9588. Dean, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Dean. How are you, man? I'm doing well. And you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Dean doing well? Quakertown, Pennsylvania. I know Quakertown really well. Um, I still miss. Remember uh, where... uh, 309 crosses 663. They still call it Trainer's Corner, but are you old enough to remember the giant lobster? Yes, with the original Trainer's Restaurant. Yeah, uh, that was like, you, you, that was better than GPS. Yes. You know, make a left at the lobster. Exactly. Or, or in case, or if you want to go to uh, Quakertown and you're on 309, you make a right at the lobster. Mm-hmm. All right, what can we do you for, sir? couple questions about the raised beds. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if there's a preferred height for the raised beds. And then I'm also interested in your Lehigh bin for the uh, potatoes that you've talked about. I'm wondering, I've grown potatoes in the past. I've grown sweet potatoes in the past. And this year I'm wondering if I can do a Lehigh bin and combine them in the same bin, as well as adding maybe yams to it so I have a variety within one bin. Okay. So let's go back to your raised bed question. One foot is the typical height, but taller is better. You know, we had this torrential rainstorms this past summer, and I watched as my entire road turned into a low river, and it came into the driveway, came into the garden. But thanks to the fact that my beds are about a foot and a half tall, the water crested beneath them, so I didn't lose any soil didn't get contaminated. You know, one foot minimum, there ain't nothing wrong with two feet. Okay. Okay, now uh, getting back to potatoes, sweet potatoes, and yams. First thing you need to know is there is no such thing as a yam in in the United States. A true yam is a very large, uh, roundish, underground tuber native to Africa. It is incredibly potent with phytochemicals, and it provided the raw material for the first oral birth control pills. Oh. Uh, there are feeling, very strong feelings that uh, Native African women knew how to utilize the yam to either delay their period or bring it on, um, but they could really control their sexual health with this native tuber. Um, but you wouldn't want to eat it just for eating it. It's not sweet like a sweet potato, and it will have hormonal effects on anyone who eats it. The yam is just a brand of sweet potato. Um, okay. It's, it's, you know, orange and red are the primary colors of sweet potatoes. Somewhere at the turn of the century, an entrepreneur decided to pick one of the colors— and pick a specific variety that used to be called Beauregard, and he called it, he renamed it the Louisiana Yam. So, but it is just a sweet potato, and every sign you see in a grocery store that says yams, 99 cents a pound, is absolutely wrong. They're all sweet potatoes. Okay? Now... Very interesting. I would never try to grow sweet potatoes and potatoes in the same bed bin container you want them to have the maximum amount of room underground to grow their respective tubers so you don't want them fighting it out you'll get a lousy harvest from both of them and in Quakertown you know the season for sweet potatoes needs to be long as long as possible so you don't want to do anything to delay it You want to get every good growing day you can to get nice big tubers from your sweet potato harvest, and you're not going to get that if they're fighting off potato plants. Okay. Now, the Lehigh bin. Um, I'm so glad when people talk about this. J.I. Rodale, who founded Rodale Press and Organic Gardening and Prevention Magazine, 
worked with instructors at Lehigh University and developed a what he called a perfect compost bin. It's a four-foot cube, but it's made with slats. So there's a slat, there's an opening, there's a slat, there's an opening. And, you know, he made it simply to fill with shredded leaves and coffee grounds and whatever and to make your compost in. The, the openings in between the slats providing really good aeration. But it also turns out to be the perfect vehicle to do above ground potato growing. You put a couple of feet of compost or soil into your Lehigh bin and then you take your seed potatoes. I prefer to use whole potatoes. I never cut them up. You don't want to risk a, a wet spring and then losing them to disease. So then you take your potatoes and you put one potato um, like north, south, east, and west, right in the center of where a slat is, so that when the greenery grows, it will grow out of the slats. So then you put another foot, foot and a half of compost or topsoil or whatever you're using on top and do the same thing again. You put one in the center of each, uh, of right facing out a slat and north, south, east, and west. And so now you've got eight potatoes and you want to make sure the greenery goes out into the outside world through that slat. So instead of being limited to the surface area, now you've got eight potatoes growing in a bin that would normally only hold two, three, maybe four at the most, and you're getting lots of leaf growth on all of them, which is what's going to give you big potatoes inside. Then you fill it all the way up to the top, and what I like to do for good luck and fun is then you take another potato, a ninth potato, and just shove it down about a foot and a half deep in the center. And that way you'll get green growth on the top of the plant too. So then you just let everything progress throughout the season. You water it every week. You don't get rain. You won't need to feed it if there's a lot of compost in there. Then at the end of the season, you lift up the bin and you harvest your potatoes without any digging which means you're not going to slice them open with your shovel or your trowel or your fork. You'll get perfect potatoes instead of the damaged ones you often get when you have to dig them up out of the ground. And I've had that trouble in the past. That's why I was interested in the Lehigh bin and trying that. So I think I'm going to give that a try this year. It works perfectly, and you're absolutely right. The shovel always finds the most beautiful potato and slices it in half. You're exactly right. Now, for other people who are growing in the ground, when and if that happens, get the potatoes, the damaged ones, inside right away, clean them off real well, rinse them, put them in a big jar of clean water, change the water every day or every other day, and they won't turn brown. They'll stay fresh until you can use them. Oh, okay. All right, man? All right. I appreciate your knowledge and your show. Very interested, and I've told a lot of people about it. Excellent. Thank you so much, and thank you for the good questions. They, uh, they're ones that everybody can utilize. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. My pleasure. You take care, sir. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce more upcoming appearances. On Saturday, May 4th, I'll appear at the Environmental Fair at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Exton, PA. Then I'll hop quick like a bunny to the Town Center Garden event in Reston, Virginia on Sunday, May 5th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with the right way to start plants from seeds and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT. PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. Yes, in just a few short minutes, as opposed to those agonizing long minutes, we'll get to the question of the week, which will teach you how to start your own plants from seed successfully, as long as you do everything I'm going to tell you to do. But I'm not going to tell you to do it until we take a couple more of your fabulous phone calls. 833-727-9588 is the number to call. Erica, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Well, thank you, Erica. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you today? I am just ducky, thank you for asking. Where is Erica great? I garden in wild, wonderful Wheatfield, New York, which is between Buffalo and Niagara Falls. Uh, What can we do for you? My question today is about my lawn. I have the most biodiverse lawn on my street, possibly in town. Mm-hmm. I love it that way. And I wanted to know what your lawn care advice is for those of us who want to keep our dandelions and uh, violets and clover and all of those things in the lawn, but still want to care for it. I'd love to do things like aerate because it is heavy uh, clay soil. Right. So it would be great to do something about that. Okay. Well, uh, in your region, you would aerate your lawn in August during a dry mm-hmm. spell in August. And as you know, uh, core aeration involves renting a machine that pulls little plugs out of the lawn and the plugs stay out so the soil density is reduced and it relieves soil compaction. Yes, and it's very good for the lawn. It, you know, theoretically, it might reduce your number of dandelions um, because dandelions are an indicator of compacted soil. Um, When you've, I don't know if you pull up dandelions, if you use the roots or something like that, but when, when you do, you can see that this is the kind of long tap-rooted plant that mm-hmm. is even used commercially to some degree uh, to get soil ready for farming. Uh, daikon radishes, you know, those giant white radishes? Right. They're actually used as a cover crop to break up hard soil and clay soil and get it ready for planting. But that's just theory. If you get a lot of dandelions and you let the puffballs go, you'll always have a lot of dandelions. Gotcha. I wouldn't want to lose them because, you know, I'm a beer brewer, and I brew a dandelion stout every spring that's fantastic. Okay, so so I've heard of dandelion wine. Uh Uh-huh. And how do we make dandelion beer? Um, you follow a pretty basic stout recipe, but there's about a pound of dandelions in. You can put the whole plant in, including the root, and it adds to the bitterness. It's similar but different from the hot bitterness, so a slightly different flavor profile in there. Right. The roots are bitter. Yeah, the whole plant is bitter, really. <laughs> after the buds open, after the flowers appear. You know, when the dandelion is young, before when it's just a rosette without a bud in the center... Mm-hmm. Those uh, dandelion leaves are c- considered uh, premium edibles, especially by older Italian gardeners. They know to harvest them as soon as the leaves appear, and they use them in salad greens. They're very sweet when they're young. They don't develop the bitterness until the flower bud appears in the center of the rosette. Right, right. My Italian in-laws love uh, dandelion omelets in the spring. Yeah, okay, good, right. They, uh, they stir-fry up the leaves with, with their eggs. Right, right. That's, that's great. So, and uh, do you use the flowers when they're yellow? Do you wait? I usually am using the plant before it's flowered or when they're just buds. Mm-hmm. But I also feed them to my pet rabbits at any point in their life cycle, and the rabbits love them. So anytime I weed them out, I separate them out to go into the house. Okay. Well, this is going to be the strangest advice I've ever given. (laughs) In 30 years of me doing this, I've never said anything quite like this, but (laughs) make sure you leave some dandelions unharvested 
so you get a lot of puffballs and you keep your harvest sustainable. Right. <laughs> I will definitely do that. Now, if I wanted to um, fertilize, can I apply corn gluten meal like at the wrong time of year so it doesn't kill the dandelions, or should I look for something else? Well, dandelions uh, grow both ways. They grow from cuttings and they grow from seed. Um, if you apply a very light amount of corn gluten meal, say five pounds per thousand square feet of turf, mm -hmm. that'll provide a gentle feeding, um, but it won't suppress any uh, seed development. You really need closer to 20 pounds per thousand square feet. Oh, okay. Uh, for so We'll do it early, just not as much. Yeah, I'm not sure about the, the timing. Um, I think dandelions uh, can, um, uh, can grow from seed in spring or fall. But don't, you know, don't worry about the timing. Uh, just go very light. Matter of fact, maybe you do two pounds per thousand square feet at the beginning of the month and then another two pounds um, after that and then avoid the summer and, and do it again in the fall twice. You know, spread it out. As long as it's not a heavy concentration of corn gluten meal, it will not inhibit the germination of any seeds. That's great. Now, what do you do with your violets? I'm, I'm a fool for violets. I collect them all. I absolutely love them. You know, there are so few. I haven't really bothered them. I'm hoping they'll spread. They should. Yeah. They should. Um, I, I have a, a several C's of them, um, both the regular violet-colored ones and beautiful, beautiful white ones with just purple dots on them. They're absolutely mm -hmm. gorgeous, and I pick them by the quart, and we put them on salads and eat them. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I have just a few of the white ones, a few strays, but I'm, I'm hoping all of them will spread. Now, I was also thinking about adding to the clover in my lawn, and wondered when the best time is to overseed something like a perennial clover, and if you had any advice on that. Um, perennial clover, you know, will come back over and over again. I think it can be planted in the fall or in the spring. Um, you know, fall is when you plant grass seed because the soil is warm. Um, mm -hmm. I, would, I would say it can be planted pretty much any time the soil temperature is warm. If you're going to do it in the spring, do it in late spring. Wherever you get the seed uh, should tell you um, what's, what soil temperature is ideal for germination. And just remember that in the United States, that soil temperature is measured four inches down. Oh, okay, good to know. So if you have a soil thermometer, you make sure it goes down to the four-inch mark, and that's what it means when it says 55 degrees or 60 or 70. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. Those are all great answers. And I, I hope your, uh, I hope your uh, edible flowers uh, continue. I, I certainly hope you get more, um, more of the pansies out there, um, more you. of the wild violets. You know, wild violets, pansies, violas, they're all the same family. Um, but I, there's nothing more beautiful in the spring when, um, when they come up. If you got one big clump that seems a little too large or something like that, divvy that up in the spring after the flowers are kind of gone and oh. maybe replant parts of that clump in the surrounding area and help them spread a little. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll do that. All right. All right. Well, good luck with your wild yard. All right, as promised, it's time for the question of the week, which we are calling It's Seed Starting Time. Let the lights shine. Andy in Gloucester, Virginia, on the north side of the York River, writes, This is my first time growing tomatoes from seed, and I'm pretty excited about it. I bought your You Bet Your Garden Guide to Growing Great Tomatoes book, have read it several times, highlighted parts, put sticky notes inside, etc., now, in that book, you talk about the light the seedlings need. I have two questions. Does it matter whether the bulbs are fluorescent or LED? And two, I found a setup that has four two-foot-long tubes in it. 
Can I use that since I do not have a lot of space for a four-foot bulb setup? Well, that's a darn good question, Andy. We write what we know, and I began by starting my seeds under a basic shop light fitted with two four-foot long tubes with great results. So that's what I always urge others to start with. But the fact that your two-foot long setup has four tubes could also produce excellent results. I'm no lighting specialist. I don't even play one on TV. But it seems like your total of 96 inches of tubing might be fairly equal to my differently configured 96 inches of tubing. The important thing to understand is that almost everyone needs artificial light to start seeds successfully. The exceptions would be people with a true sunroom that gets as much natural light as a greenhouse or an actual greenhouse, as long as that greenhouse doesn't get freezing cold at night. Now with your setup, you'd arrange your containers in a square underneath the lights. With my longer bulbs, they're arranged in a railroad car-like rectangle. And you know, even two two-footers would be fine if you keep the plants directly under the lights. No containers off to the side. Every plant needs to be right underneath a tube in two ways. One, the plants can't be on the outskirts of the lights. When you look down from the top, you should not see any containers sticking out. Two, the tops of the plants should be almost touching those tubes. Fluorescent light doesn't travel well, at least for plants. I mean, it's fine for us if we're reading a book under a fixture that's several feet above us. But the lumens necessary to grow short, stocky starts, which is what you want, are only available an inch or two away from the tubes. Remember, the tubes are cool to the touch. I prefer to have my plants growing up into them than to be more than an inch away. Now, if your starts end up tall and lean, they didn't get enough light. Buy professionally grown transplants and get better lights for next year or grow your runts outside and see what failure really tastes like. All right, what about LEDs? Good question. I see LED tubes that are the same size and shape as my fluorescents and have high hopes for them. But I have four existing fixtures, most of which now hold four four-foot-long tubes each. I start a lot of seeds. And I have boxes of brand-new fluorescent tubes to go into them. So I'm not trying LEDs anytime soon, but I would love to hear from those who have. Now, let's drop back to before the lights. If you want decent starts, here's the bullet list. You must start with a bag soil-free mix. It may be called seed starting mix, potting soil, professional mix, or something similar. The principal ingredients will be milled peat moss or core, perlite or vermiculite, and compost or composted forest products. Avoid miraculous mixes that contain chemical fertilizers. If food is included in the mix, it should be natural, like worm castings, kelp, and such. If you start your seeds in garden soil, you will fail. Got it? All right. Use the same kind of containers as the pros use. There's nothing better than the six-packs or four-packs that last year's purchased plants came in. If you get kindergarten cute and use containers like old egg cartons, you will fail. Fill the correct containers with your soil-free mix and then place them in an inch of water until they're saturated. Don't ever water from above. Place two seeds into each container or individual cell of a container. No more, no less. Place the containers into something with a low lip that holds water, like a baking pan. Cover the whole schmageggy with plastic wrap or something similar and transparent. Then place the whole schmageggy in the warmest spot in your house or on a professional heating mat designed for starting seeds. Add small amounts of water to the pan daily to keep the starting medium moist. As soon as you see the very first sprouts, remove any coverings and turn off any artificial heat. The other sprouts are going to appear real soon without any help. Now, place your setup directly under the kind of lights we just described. Continue keeping the growing medium moist, but don't overwater it. That means no visible water in the bottom of the pan. 
when most of the plants have four to six leaves, use a small pair of scissors to cull the weakest looking plant from each cell. Yes, you must do this. Be fearless. At three to four weeks of age, you can feed them a gentle organic liquid fertilizer. Do not install tropical plants like peppers and tomatoes outdoors until the nights are reliably in the 50s. No cheating. Well, that sure was some great info about starting seeds now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, with a couple of details we didn't have time to speak of today, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to dim my lights if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-PBS-WLVT, which translates to 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT. But don't worry if you couldn't get that. You'll find all of our new contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to many of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page with new postings every day. Tavia Minnick works the phones. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jazzy Jonas Bowen. Our video editors are Concrete Kelly Hurd and Jelly Roll Jake Boyer. Our floor manager, John DeSantis, is busy building an interocitor. Harassed and harried Javier Diaz is our director and maybe our producer, but is definitely not our executive producer. Really. Regal Ron Ruscha is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jim McDonald. Chief techno officer is Andy Cummins. Zach the Taquizneski is in the house. Our CEO, Tim Fallon, is also not our executive producer. And he's late for a meeting where he was also going to say, I'm not the executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. I'm never late, I'm always right, and I got to go now because it's time for me to start my tomato seeds for the season. Then I'll see you again next week.